Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Gus Mazaka, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the University of Connecticut and Director of the Yukon Musculoskeletal Institute. Dr. Mazaka is the author of the paper entitled, Proximal Humerus and Ilium are Reliable Sources of Bone Marrow Aspirates for Biologic Augmentation During Arthroscopic Surgery, which was published in the September 2020 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Mazaka, and thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Great. Let's let's get right to it. Can you give us a little background and really the impetus behind starting this study and how you know the design behind it is really exceptional? Well, thank you. Um, uh, we give a lot of credit to Dr. Scott Martin, who's uh, uh, part of the uh, Harvard Sports uh, Service and at the Mass General Hospital. He had really a novel and interesting technique that he was using when he did his uh, hip arthroscopies, where he was able, under direct visualization, to uh, withdraw bone marrow um, from the ilium. And uh, he had collaborated with us so that we could quantify uh, the amount of cells, the type of colony forming units, the biologic applicability of it, showing that they could differentiate into cartilage, bone, and fat, fax analysis, so he had reached out to us to collaborate with us, with us, which is, you know, one of our favorite things to do. And uh, we were able to work with him on that. And then what we wanted to do was just compare it to the work we were doing uh, uh, with the proximal humerus. So for rotator cuff repairs, I had been drawing uh, bone marrow from the proximal humerus to decrease the amount of morbidity. Uh, and uh, make it kind of more efficient and uh, easier uh, for people. So we combined it there, but really uh, Scott Martin uh, was uh, one of the main people uh, in his new technique uh, for uh, aspirating uh, out of the ilium. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about your thought process and how you started doing the proximal humerus uh, aspirations and how long you've been doing us doing it and give us any pearls or tips and tricks? Yeah, we've actually uh, been really working on this since uh, 2009. And the idea was um, we try to, uh, the, what our lab tries to do is uh, take practical problems that we have in the OR in the, in the office and try to solve them. And one of the biggest problems uh, that I, I still face is the um, variability in reproducible healing of rotator cuff repairs in patients, the time it takes them to heal, uh, and the relatively increased amount of people that ne necessarily don't heal after going through say, uh, the surgery, and then the rehab. So we wanted to try to augment that with biology to see if we could get a better response, decrease the amount of time that they were not in work, uh, and uh, increase the results of uh, healing. So that's kind of what was our impetus. 
We wanted to do it in a very efficient way. We worked very hard. Uh, one thing that uh, may not come out a lot is the density of the clot. So when we're doing arthroscopic surgery, uh, all of us would agree that the more robust, uh, easier to handle clot would be better. Unfortunately, uh, very robust clots are tight and the cells don't integrate into those clots as well and you don't have a great healing response. So we worked very hard on designing a clot that was kind of in the middle uh, that would be uh, strong enough to kind of withstand arthroscopic environment but also be loose enough for cells to integrate to. We thought that the colony forming units or the mesenchymal cells from the bone marrow would be an ideal cell to kind of differentiate and help heal. And we really thought that that would uh, uh, improve uh, rotator cuff repair outcomes. Great. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your technique? I know in the paper you mentioned that you would use the same location where you're going to be putting the first anchor. Give us some tips for people looking to do this for the first time. Yeah. So uh, when you're aspirating, and I'm sure Dr. Martin would also agree, when you're aspirating from these areas, you want to keep the seal of the bone. In other words, you have to create a negative pressure to suck the bone marrow out. Now, there's a lot of literature and a lot of uh, different authors and scientists that have, have looked at this. There are a lot of um, variable ideas on what the best way is to maximize uh, the amount of cells that you can get. But what we would do is we would take the size of the needle, which was really the same size as the tap that we would use for our first anchor placement. We would put it in the same place or the exact place that we would want to start where we would want to put our first anchor. So we would do a, a double row repair. So we would put our first anchor uh, at the you know cartilage junction of the greater tuberosity. And we would insert that uh, to a certain depth. And then what we would do is we would aspirate that uh, bone marrow. Then uh, in, say, patients that had very hard bone or dense bone, we could put the tap in to make sure the anchor would go. But generally, we would remove the needle and then just put the anchor in that same area. So that cut down on the amount of devices we needed and the speed we were able to do to aspirate out the bone marrow, uh, get that going into the clot, and then proceed with the rotator cuff repair. We didn't want to have a system of biologic augmentation that that became so hard that you couldn't do it in the operating room or you needed special people. Right. It works out pretty well. It's the perfect size of the anchor and right where you're going to put a hole in the bone. You're not weakening that area where you're putting your repair. So it's, it's pretty slick tricks. So could you tell us a little bit about your progression of using BMAC and PRP and how what you're doing now and, and everything with your shoulder surgeries? Sure. So we really looked hard at our outcomes. Um, you know, what we try to do in our lab is is uh, all of our biologic augmentation. We're lucky enough to have a great uh, cell biologist, Mary Beth McCarthy, who's been working with us for a very long time. And what we're able to do is we're able to take a small sample of the, say, concentrated bone marrow or whatever biologics we're trying to use and then quantify it. So we're able to find the colony forming units. We're able to show that they can differentiate into uh, bone, uh, cartilage, and fat. 
and they also under facts analysis have the cell surface markers that uh, define them as pluripotential cells. So from that, we were able to know what we had. And then we looked at the outcomes uh, of patients that we were doing this on. And we found that over time, um, the results of these concentrated bone marrow um, with the PRP uh, and uh, thrombin weren't as exceptional as we had planned. We thought they were really going to take, and we had done a uh, prospective randomized study on double row rotator cuff repairs looking at um, post-operative rehab that was published in arthroscopy as well. So we took those patients as our kind of standard and compared them to the biologic patients. And we didn't find a huge difference between the um, what we defined as failure, which was either pain uh, or uh, uh, six-month MRI showing a gap in the rotator cuff. So at that time, when we were a little disappointed, we had a uh, scientist here named uh, Dr. Nat Diamond, who was doing a lot of uh, great work on tendon healing. And in the mouse model, he had labeled cells and was able to look at what cells were coming in to try to heal the tendon. And what he found was the cells that were moving the most to heal were actually not coming from the bone and actually not coming from the tendon, but were coming from the peritoneum. So we went looking for the peritoneum of the supraspinatus. We weren't able to find it, but we found the bursa. So from there, we started looking at the bursa and we were able to find uh, connective tissue progenitor cells or uh, mesenchymal stem cells in there we were able to show that they actually proliferated faster, became colony-forming units faster, and actually looked at their migration and found that they migrated. So we have moved from concentrated bone marrow to trying to augment now with bursa, since we needed to get that out of the way to see. Um, and this is not new. Um, this has been around for, for many years. Uh, Professor Golke, uh, from Germany, and actually even uh, Dr. Savoie have known that the bursa has some healing potential and have tried to leave it in their rotator cuff repairs. Yeah, those are great studies. I've certainly encouraged the listeners to look at uh, your your studies with the bursa. I mean, all these things that are easy, like you mentioned before, make it so much more possible for all of us to use. So we appreciate all the work you've done with this. It's certainly a lot of years and a lot of a lot of long nights where you're thinking of all these little tricks and nuances. I had another question about uh, biologics. You know, it seems like we're not sure how, how they work a lot of times. What are your thoughts about, is it more of a healing issue or pain control that they're helping with or both? I think it's both. And I think the big thing to remember um, when talking about biologics is human variability. We've seen by analyzing, you know, hundreds of samples from patients of different ages, different comorbidities, um, different races, different sexes, uh, that really there's um, tremendous vi uh, variability. Uh, even within the same person, there's variability. So I think that uh, certain people respond very well. Uh, to say PRP as a pain controller, 
Um, we've found that when we've injected PRP into our young patients with osteoarthritis that we don't want to uh, inject uh, corticosteroids into. Um, other people have found that when they inject PRP uh, post-operative for rotator cuff repairs, people have done very well. But then also there's a whole body of literature uh, that shows that it may not have an effect. And I think that the variability in the human response to uh, patients' own biologics uh, is really kind of causes confusion compared to um, the other things that we know. So mechanically, uh, we know how strong the anchors are. We know how strong the suture is. We know uh, the, the way uh, certain patches heal or respond. But the patient's own biologics and how it responds to itself, uh, we, we don't know, and there's variability. So we have a lot to, to learn there. Yeah, that's a great lead into another question I had is, you know, you hear different people talking about optimizing biologics. Do you think there's any role in, you know, diet or having people exercise or taking supplements or something before these biologic procedures? Yeah, I think that uh, whatever you can, uh, can do to enhance uh, the health of the patient um, uh, is uh, advantageous. I know that uh, Dr. Savoie, when he does rotator cuff repairs, um, he has his patients take vitamin D. Uh, he has them take vitamin C. And he even puts them on a um, three-week course of doxycycline to kind of decrease uh, the, re the, uh, the effects of the uh, MMPs or matrix metalloproteinases. So Dr. Savoie has really worked hard on trying to optimize his patients. I've tried to do that myself here. However, I have enough trouble just getting them to control their uh, diabetes and stop smoking. Uh, so um, as, as all, there's variability in patients, and, and that's kind of what we all uh, face. But I, I do think that whatever you can do to maximize the health of the patient uh, will Im improve healing. Thank you for sharing that. I know we we all really appreciate all these pearls you have. Could you, going back to the study, could you give us a, a brief summary of the results that you guys had? And were you surprised about any of the results when you compared the ileum versus the proximal humerus? No, I think the paper really shows that you can obtain um, kind of connective tissue progenitor cells from both areas. I think that's really what we wanted to show. Um, you know, we tried to take all of the patients that we had aspirated from the proximal humor, so we didn't have any selection bias. And then uh, Dr. Martin sent us all of his uh, ileum patients, so no selection bias. There was variability in the groups. Um, we had many more that we had done the proximal humerus from since we had been doing it for longer. Um, but what we wanted to show was they both were able to obtain uh, those progenitor cells and um, how the body reacts to those and the ability to put them in to try to heal certain structures uh, is what we're trying to look at right now. But that's kind of what I wanted the main part of that paper to show is that um, you can get them. Uh, I wasn't really necessarily surprised uh, that there was a difference um, because I think that uh, when we started trying to obtain, quote, stem cells or connective tissue progenitor cells, 
uh, we thought that would be hard. And in fact, it's not hard. They're uh, everywhere. Um, you know, we've people are, are now um, processing fat. Uh, we know that we can get them from different areas of the bone marrow. And there's a lot of areas where these reservoirs, uh, the issue would be to try to get the cells that we obtain and try to get them to do what we want them to do. So uh, we still don't know how many cells you need, uh, what signals are, are needed for those cells, uh, and um, that's kind of really what we're working on. Right. I guess the, the real outcome is not showing, you know, maybe there are some more CFUs in the proximal humerus versus the ilium, but maybe they're both sufficient enough and it's the quality of the cells. It's not just sheer number. Yeah, but that remains to be seen. Um, you know, in the orthopedic mantra, usually more is better. Uh, so, um, you know, that's something that we're going to have to uh, look at uh, very critically as time goes on. Uh, you know, in all the our articles that are, many people are working on. Right. The, the the study design of this study is pretty incredible. You were having the the samples shipped down overnight, and the study is really the best I've seen describing all the protocols and processing and evaluating each step of your study. So someone could reproduce it if they wanted, which seems to be an issue with a lot of the biologics literature. Can you comment on your thoughts about? clear descriptions of how the biologics are prepared and tested. And a lot of the terms, like we've mentioned even today, MSCs, CTPs, CFUs, and people are using a lot of those interchangeably. It seems like that's maybe an issue with our current literature. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Well, the uh, International Society for Cellular Therapy has really defined what they feel are the criteria for what would quantify as a connective tissue progenitor cell or a mesenchymal stem cell. Um, and what those are is one, the ability to stick to uh, tissue culture plastic. The reason for that is because obviously the bone marrow has a big hematopoietic uh, influence. So we want to clear out all the blood cells first. Then they define it needs to be able to, those cells need to differentiate with the appropriate signals into bone, fat, or cartilage. Uh, then uh, using facts analysis, which are surface markers, they need to be positive for what they call CD73, CD90, and CD105, which are kind of a mesenchymal lineage. And they have to be negative for CD31 and CD45 which would be a hematopoietic lineage. Um, and that's kind of what really, uh, and then form colonies. So those are the criteria for determining what uh, you get out of that aspirate and if it has cells in it that are going to be what you think they are. I think one of the things that uh, has been used um, as an adjunct to that is the idea of nucleated cell count. Um, and we're in the process of submitting a paper to the Arthroscopy Journal looking at how nucleated cell count correlates with the colony forming units and have found that really there's no relationship between them. So just because you have a high nucleated cell count 
doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get uh, a significant amount of colony forming units. Colony forming units are where that cell then divides and forms its own colony. And in the uh, cell biology world, the uh, scientist is able to look at that plate and then count those colonies. And that's really what we use to determine what we think is, say, uh, somebody that's got active uh, bone, concentrated bone marrow versus somebody that doesn't. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's for, for the casual biologics person trying to understand this, we really appreciate uh, the work that you've done for this. Can you tell us kind of what's on the horizon and your future thoughts? I know you mentioned the subacromial space being uh, an interest of yours and the different carriers. And have you looked at local cost of, of these things and how we can get them more into practice? Yeah, I think that um, what we want to do and then and looking at what the Food and Drug Administration is kind of trying to monitor uh, and trying to make uh, biologic augmentation uh, both cost and time efficient for surgeons that don't necessarily have a giant lab at their disposal. Uh, that's why we moved to the bursa. We think that uh, the bursa is um, a structure that um, is also very variable, um, but is always there. And we're able to obtain that bursa, uh, process it by just uh, kind of cutting it up or, or, or using a shaver uh, to obtain it, and then adding uh, platelet-rich plasma uh, as well as uh, autologous thrombin, and then creating a clot out of that and trying to put that in the area of our rotator cuff repair. Uh, the thrombin would uh, last about six weeks before it's resorbed. So we put it underneath our double row repair and then we put it on top of our double row repair. And that's kind of how we've been doing it uh, recently. That kind of eliminates some of the cost of the concentration of the bone marrow. It also eliminates some of the other issues that um, can come up around uh, passing off samples uh, from the sterile field and then passing them back. So we think that's a more efficient way. Uh, we've been looking at that uh, in collaboration with other um, uh, surgeons from around the country. It's not a new idea. Um, uh, Dr. Golke, uh in Germany and, and actually Buddy Savoy uh, down in um, New Orleans have been looking at this or have been using it uh, for many years. Uh, so there's a biologic component to that uh, bursa, which is kind of where we're looking at it right now. And we feel that may be a more cost-effective as well as time-effective way to try to augment uh, rotator cuff repairs. Yeah, that's awesome. What's a realistic option for people in having the thrombin carrier that lasts for six weeks certainly makes you more... Uh, confident that your biologics are doing something compared to just injecting some PRP at the end. So I think that's makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Mazaka, for sharing your results today with us. This is really an outstanding paper and I'd like to congratulate you and Dr. Martin and all your co-authors with this great 
great plan with your paper and you've described everything so well. So thank you for that. And also thanks for your patience. We had a little hiccup with our recording. So thanks for your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, it was great talking to you and excellent questions. And we're uh, always happy to learn and, and collaborate with others. So thank you very much. Great. Dr. Mazaka's article entitled Proximal Humerus and Ilium are Reliable Sources of Bone Marrow Aspirates for Biologic Augmentation During Arthroscopic Surgery is published in the September 2020 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you for joining us. <music>